If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Versus Everybody Podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and it's just me tonight, but technically it's me and you. Well, I guess not you, you, but like you if you submitted a question because it's a mailbag podcast. I gotta say, so I have I have all the podcast files like in my in a folder on my desktop where I record this. And I saw like that I had a mailbag like two weeks ago. And I was like, no, that can't be right. Like, there's no way. And is I did a mailbag like two weeks ago, a year ago, like a one fifteen, a January fifteenth mailbag in 2020. And so, like, yeah, that that kind of scared me. I was like, I know I haven't like run out of stuff to talk about like twice over, but it is what it is, right? So with that said, uh, you know, it's a weird week for the Pistons. I wanted to hear what you guys wanted to talk about, and so I was like, hey, let's get some questions in here. And so everybody who Submitted questions. Thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate it. And uh, we're going to get this thing started with a question from at Detroit Wyso. At Detroit W-Y-S-O. Who's going to be the next Piston to drop 40 in a game? Is he on the roster? Is it our next draft pick? Or is he in third grade right now? <laughs> Thanks for the question, Detroit Wyso. I mean, like, the the obvious answer has to be Jeremy Grant, right? Jeremy Grant has already hit a career high in Detroit. I believe he scored 32 points in a game earlier this season. It stands to reason that there can't. There's no reason like there's there's no reason why we can't get a Jeremy Grant 40 point game uh, sometime this year if he just you know comes out and hits like six threes and gets fouled a bunch and like we get him out in transition. I, I got no doubt in my mind that Jeremy Grant can can drop 40 and like think about how crazy that is though, right? Like if you had asked me that earlier this year, you know, before we had seen Jeremy Grant kind of put himself on the stage for this Detroit Pistons team, I'd have been like, you're, you're crazy, man. There's no way Jeremy Grant's ever going to drop 40 in a game. But now between, you know, the, the shot versatility he's shown, the shot making ability he's shown, the, the ability to, to get fouled and get to the line and make free throws that he's shown, I believe he's shooting a career high percentage from the free throw line in addition to getting to the line just like a lot more numerically than he ever has in his career and so like yeah just think about how crazy it is that how far we've come in you know barely 25 games barely 20 games uh thinking that jeremy grant could absolutely drop 40 a night you know who's gonna be the next pistons player to drop like 50 that's a good question that dude might be that dude might be in third grade (laughs) we'll see about that guy 50 is uh, exponentially harder than uh, than 40. And, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, Fred Van Vliet dropped in excess of 50, I think he dropped 54 last night uh, on the Magic. You know, there's there's no reason why uh, uh, somebody like that couldn't get hot for Detroit, but it, took, it would have to take, you'd have to get really, really hot in order to score 50 like that. Uh, thanks for the question again. Uh, next question comes from Matthew Way at Way Math. He's the co-host of the Inside the Cylinder podcast. Those guys do great work. Check them out on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast feed. I believe they just had their 100th episode. Congratulations to them. Um, and I really appreciate Matt taking time out to ask this question because it's a great question. Matt asks, what do you see as Isaiah Stewart's ceiling? And this is... <laughs> This is a really good question because this has, you know, profound implications for the the how how you evaluate Isaiah Stewart as a piece on this roster moving forward, how you evaluate, you know, Troy Weaver using a first round pick on a big man, any big man in an age where, you know, big men are more uh, devalued than they've ever been in the past. And it also has a lot of repercussions for, you know, do the Pistons need 
another big man, right? It's like if you if you see Isaiah Stewart's ceiling as the the long term option at starting center, it's like what what kind of team is that? If you see Isaiah Stewart as I do, as kind of a a really 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 good backup center, just like an an excellent backup center. We're talking like the like a Montrezl Harrell of defense in terms of like a backup center. Um, it's just like, but that, that also proposes certain like roster construction issues, right? Like you, you spent the 16th overall pick on this guy who is very valuable. You're going to play in excess of 25 to 30 minutes a night, but you can't start him because he can't No, Well, so if, if Stewart's able to defend in space and he's able to space the floor eventually in time, and I do, you know, other people more connected and more uh, into what the team is up to than me think that Isaiah Stewart in time will become a three-point shooter. I could definitely see that, and he shoots free throws really well, and you've seen him take the mid-range jumpers, and the ball looks good coming out of his hand. It doesn't look like he has a, a weird elongated shot or anything like that. I could see it. And so you, you look at a guy like Stewart, uh, if he if he becomes a adequate three-point shooter for a big man and uh and just like that that's like the cherry on top of what he currently offers um you know will he get better defensively i think so will he learn to kind of better defend in space i think so but there will always be physical limitations that really restrict what isaiah stewart is capable of he'll always be like six eight six nine on a good day right the the wingspan makes up from that on uh from like a defensive perspective and from a rebounding perspective but uh he'll never be the uh he'll never be uh, an intimidating defensive player in the way that like uh anthony davis or joel Embiid are because you know those guys are both taller and longer um isaiah stewart will probably never be like an explosive lob threat. He'll be a good finisher around the rim, I think, just because he has so much uh, energy and want to, and he'll be so thick that guys will not want to, you know, come in contact with him and he'll still be able to get shots up over guys. But if you're, you know, if you're running like spread pick and rolls with Isaiah Stewart, you can't just, you know, DeAndre Jordan, throw him the ball, you know, off the square on the backboard, he's going to go get it. and, And that's two points. And so you're limited offensively a little bit in what you're able to do with Stewart. Um, if the shot comes along, you can run pick and pop, right? And hopefully, you know, he's, if he's making a good amount of those, he's making a good amount of those. Um, will, do I ever, like, think he'll be a guy who can put the ball on the floor in the short roll, make one dis- make one dribble, one or two dribbles, and a good decision? Um, I think I think that's possible, but I don't really want to rely on that just because we've seen it less that wasn't how he was necessarily used at college we haven't really seen that aspect of his game be like plumbed in uh in detroit as well and so like yeah uh if so if you if he's not a vertical lob threat and he's like a tops out as like a okay like three-point shooter and he's not uh and he's good on the glass but not like incredibly physically imposing as a defender that to me sounds like a really, really high level backup center. Um, it's like, okay, so now in that case, it's like, okay, what do you need your starting center to do? It's like, well, you need your starting center to be a lob threat, you need your starting center to be uh, a, like a, a vertical spacer, you need your starting center to be either a better like perimeter defender or better rim protector than, than Stewart, and you need that guy to uh like really really be able to rebound the ball uh on the offensive glass or on the defensive glass right and so yeah i think i think that's where stewart ends up that could be i could be i'd be more than happy to be wrong about that right i'd be more than happy to wake up one day and have isaiah stewart like jumping out of the gym that would solve a lot of problems for the for the pistons um i would be more than happy to see isaiah stewart just become like this amazing like uh, Bam Adebayo esque, like switch defender, that would also solve a lot of problems for the Pistons. But I just I don't think he he gets to that level defensively, and I think the physical limitations kind of prevent him from 
doing that uh, from being like a, a real vertical spacer offensively, and those will kind of not always just be like a cap on what he's capable of on both ends. And it's like in that case, like should you have taken him at sixteen? Like I don't know, he'll probably be really good, right? Like really good high level backup centers will stay in the league for a long time. Um, I don't know if he'll ever make like. I think it'll be useful that he'll never make like twenty five million dollars or anything crazy in the league. I think like you know having having really good role players at you know sub. 15 sub 16 sub 17 million dollar contracts for extended amounts of periods like that's that's a great way to build a team i think isaiah stewart would be like a key piece of a future pistons playoff team but like does that mean he's going to be like does that mean he has to be the starting center if you're good like not really not really that was longer than i plan to go on isaiah on isaiah stewart but that was a good question matt thanks for the question Next up, we have Scott FL from DBB, Scott from Florida. Scott is a, a longtime listener and a big contributor to everything we do on the, in, uh, in Detroit Bad Boys. Appreciate you, Scott. Uh, Scott asks, are man buns generally accepted amongst your generation? Scott is a little bit older than I. I don't know exactly how old Scott is, but I would, I would say Scott's Gen X, if I had to guess. Um, so I am, I am an... I'm a millennial. That is a classification now that, you know, doesn't mean what it used to mean. We got the Gen Zers now. We got the kids. The kids are very much not millennials as much as it uh, pains me to say. I knew I wasn't going to be a kid forever, but I didn't know what it would feel like to not be a kid anymore. And it kind of sucks. But uh, and the, there's another thing over here, which is like a, a racial element, right? Like, you know, I'm black black dudes don't really do man buns that's not really the hairstyle that we go for like you could do you could do like an afro right i don't know how you, i don't know how you do a man bun and like if you had like like the hair's curly right so you, you you could slick it back you could like press it and then slick it back and then do a man bun that seems like excessive that seems wildly excessive actually so yeah um <laughs> That's a little bit of a tangent, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think man buns are fine. Uh, if you're, uh, if that's what you're going for in your generation, I'm, I'm 30. Uh, I think if I saw like another 30 year old guy with a man bun, I would like kind of look at him a little bit puzzled, but I wouldn't think like, oh, like this dude like doesn't have anything together. I'll just be like, yeah, that was like, that's a choice. That's an individual choice. Maybe he just really likes soccer or something like that. I don't know. I, I want to clarify also, I asked Scott, is like, is this a shot across the bow at another podcast hosted by a person who infamously has a man bun who was recently on this podcast, Nicholas Hinkle? And he was like, no, I just want to know about the man buns. I was like, okay, yeah, I can answer your question fairly then man buns are fine i guess yeah thanks for the question scott <laughs> next question comes from at burgest ball on twitter is there another free agent from around the league you see us picking up next year and hoping they grow into a larger role like is there another jeremy grant or josh jackson you can see easily finding a place on the pistons hmm. that's a good question I know that the the second draft is very much thought of as like a thing now where there are guys who were perhaps overdrafted or perhaps drafted into situations that, you know, didn't maximize the best of their talents. There were guys who were perhaps drafted into like coaching situations that weren't, uh, you know, conducive to developing properly. You think about, um, you think about like uh, like Minnesota, right? Like Minnesota's been bad for a long time, and it doesn't look like any of the young dudes have gotten better, and that makes you worry a little bit about what Anthony Edwards is going to go through. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, who else has done like a poor job of developing guys? I mean, like you could you could honestly say the Pistons, you know, under previous regimes, have done a not spectacular job of developing their young guys, right? Like between you know Stanley Johnson and the Henry Ellinsons of the world like you know the the pistons didn't always maximize the the top of their list and so you're looking for more dudes like that right you're looking for more dudes 
who maybe were drafted because they had a lot of potential, a lot of physical wingspan, uh, an, an exceptional NBA-ready skill. Maybe that's athleticism. Maybe that's shooting. Maybe that's ball handling. And just for whatever reason, it didn't work in, at one of their stops. And so you, you look at uh, you're looking to draft them. A guy who immediately springs to mind for me is actually Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley the third was you know infamously taken over Luka Doncic. Um, he's a dude who gets points and rebounds. Just like that's that's what he does, right? He scores buckets and he gets rebounds. He didn't really do much else, but he's really good at scoring points and getting rebounds. But Sacramento is in the midst of like some new <laughs> some new stuff, right? They got a new general manager, they got a new front office. Um, they should get a new coach relatively soon. I don't know if Luke Walton is going to stay in that job forever. He has not done a great job with that team. And so yeah, Marvin Bagley is a dude that I I personally have my eye on. Uh, as a guy who was overdrafted and perhaps was not perfectly developed in uh, the situation in Sacramento. Uh, and so that would be a guy that I'd be interested in moving forward. Um, you know, to add on a little bit to this question, I think Troy Weaver kind of excels in, in these guys. Um, and I also think that Troy Weaver is looking for, like, you know, we always know like Troy Weaver is looking for, you know, people, not players or Right. People, not players. Right. That's how the quote goes. He's looking for high character dudes. You know, I don't know anything about uh, Bagley's character, but, you know, I would keep that in mind when I'm thinking about potential uh, second draft future free agent guys. The picket the Pistons could pick up off the scrap heap. It's like, who are the guys who like worked hard? It just like didn't work out for them. Right. Like those would be the guys you'd, you'd be you'd be more inclined to be like a writer on. Uh, from a Troy Weaver's perspective. Uh, next question. Next question comes from Jeff Koenig at Jeff Koenig 2004. Why is All-Star Weekend p- only planning a skills challenge? If you're only doing one event, shouldn't it be the most popular event, the dunk contest? Either way, I don't understand why they're not doing all the events. Thanks for the question, Jeff. Um, the reason they're not doing all the events is ostensibly about safety and the reason they're doing an all-star weekend at all is about money and so like you're gonna get some stuff in this all-star game that's not gonna make a ton of sense (laughs) the if i remember the woge report from espn correctly chris paul aka like the president of the players association like proposed this to the league you know an an all-star weekend with an all-star game and perhaps now you know an all-star weekend with with a skills challenge in addition to the all-star game um i i have to imagine part of that is to recoup some of the like lost uh money that the players are currently like dealing with i have to imagine that uh part of it is the uh is the fact that like the NBA's partners, the like the league's partners in uh, Turner, are headquartered in Atlanta, so it wouldn't be like a massive, it wouldn't be as massive a logistical undertaking to get like everything you'd need to Atlanta like relatively quickly for an All Star break. Part of me has to imagine that like uh, the players kind of looked up realize like hey like this this season kind of sucks we're we're traveling you know under covid proto- under really strict covid protocols can't really see anybody um you know we're we're uh it's like we're not allowed to really do much even in our home markets um and it's like if we we persevere throughout this season and like we play and you play really well and you excel in your field like you should absolutely get some recognition for that um, I, I imagine like, imagine a guy like Mike Conley, right? Like Mike Conley is having a great year for, for the Utah jazz. This would be his first all-star game after a career of always being perhaps like the, uh, one of the major snubs for the all-star game It's like, he makes it to the all-star game for the first time in his career, a long career in which he's been like, you know, a great player for a very long time. 
and there's no game. There's no like evidence that he was actually like an all star game. He was actually an all star, right? It's like it's on basketball reference, but like it doesn't it doesn't feel the same, right? Think about a guy like Jeremy Grant to, to bring it a little bit closer to home, right? Jeremy Grant, you know, averaging <laughs> averaging twenty three points on a Pistons team that's only won five games so far this season, you know, playing his heart out every night, uh, really impressing the league as a whole after, you know, taking himself from, you know, process sixer, raw lump of clay to valuable contributor to a playoff team in Oklahoma City to extremely valuable contributor on a Western Conference Finals team in Denver to, you know, number one option on a team scoring efficiently and, you know, playmaking even a little bit uh, as the uh, for the Detroit Pistons is like he's an all star like that would be awesome. But then there's no game, right? There's no like evidence he he was ever an all star, and so I understand like why the players are are proposing this, right? Uh, I understand why they're even trying to get like a skills challenge in, right? To again show off some of the other guys in their field. I think this is a little bit more like TV focused, to be honest with you. But um, you know who's to say? But yeah, like as for why they don't have a dunk contest, that's a great question. Um, I would imagine that like the the dunk contest is part of the skills challenge so maybe there's like a little bit of miscommunication there around the dunk contest and that that absolutely like would be included as part of any any skills uh, competition package um maybe it would maybe the optics of a dunk contest in an arena that's like basically only uh, a third full would be really weird uh you know dunk contests like feed off of crowd reaction crowd feedback everybody kind of going like whoa like that like we've never seen anybody do something like that before and it is i think impossible to get that same kind of reaction from a crowd that's you know one third uh, from an arena that's one third full and equally dispersed throughout the arena because of you know social distancing and everything and so i think there's an element of the dunk contest that kind of get lost and that makes it not as worth doing like people get hyped for like the three-point shootout and stuff but like that's like a crescendo right and like that's a rhythm thing and so i think an empty gym probably helps the three-point shootout right we'd have a <laughs> have more dudes making you know all you know all balls on the last rack than than ever before but but yeah the uh and the the other skills competition is right uh the weird like obstacle course passing uh shooting dribbling thing that they do um that's I gotta say like that's my least favorite like all-star skills event thing and that's only fun when it's like big dudes doing it it's only fun when it's like Carl Anthony Towns and like Andre Drummond like going (laughs) going head-to-head and dribbling you never see and like taking threes and stuff like that that's the only time it's fun is when big dudes do it maybe not like Kevin Durant that's not what I mean I mean like I want to see like Joel Embiid do it right i want to see i want to see like isaiah stewart and mason Plumley do that right like that that's entertainment but uh but yeah we can we can skip that if we uh if we do that but yeah so all-star weekend in general it's gonna be weird um not surprised that the players are pushing for some level of public on tv recognition of uh the season that they've had so far and getting to play in an all-star game um maybe the Again, maybe the optics of a dunk contest in a in a game in an arena like that are a little bit weird, um, but yeah. So that I hope that uh, I hope that gets to the heart of your question, Jeff. Appreciate the. If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, whether it's breakaway speed or elite playmaking ability, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
question. Okay, next question comes from Jay Markle at the Better Markle. Jay asked two questions, both of which were really good. So I'm going to answer both of them. Thanks, Jay. So Jay's first question is, which player's role on this Pistons team do fans most misunderstand other than Blake or Seku? That is a really good question because I think those those Blake and Seku are just like in inexorably like linked together. And so taking them out of this question makes the question actually more interesting. For for right now, I think the guy who fans most understand like what the idea of them was supposed to be for this season is DeLon Wright. Right? DeLon Wright was not supposed to be the starting point guard for this Pistons team. That was supposed to be Killian Hayes. DeLon Wright was supposed to be a a tertiary ball handler, right? He was supposed to be it's supposed to be like Blake handling the ball, then Jeremy handling the ball, then Killian handling the ball, and like then Daylon Wright will get his touches, right? Or like, you know, in time, you know, they taking they're taking Daylon out of Delon, sorry. I knew I ooh, I knew I was gonna do that. They're taking Delon out of the starting lineup in place of like Josh Jackson or or, or Svima Luke or Sadiq Bay, right? And then in that case, Delon was gonna come off the bench and, you know, play next to Derek Rose, provide some provide some secondary ball handling next to Rose, take the ball out of Rose's hands occasionally just to run some offense, um, knock down some open shots, um, and, you know, play with play off of, you know, Julio Okafor and uh, other guys that they expected to be in, in the rotation, get get Seku the ball in, in positions to score up and down in transition. Um, like, the, the idealized version of DeLon Wright like, could have been a very useful, like, gap filler, a guy who just, like, does all the things in the backcourt that you need uh, a, a professional like seasoned veteran to do. And the Killian injury kind of just threw all that into whack. Like now he's the starting point guard because they're not trying to stretch out Derek Rose's minutes, which is completely defensible and totally understandable. Yeah, so, uh, and then, you know, we get to, into situations like, last night in Utah or, you know, other situations and where Derrick Rose hasn't really, Derrick Rose is unavailable. And suddenly DeLon Wright is the only point guard with any experience on the roster, right? Like we're, we're looking at Frank Jackson and Saban Lee as, as the other point guard options. Um, and so that, and the, that takes on like, okay, now he's got to play a higher minute load just to get, you know, a competent, you know, ball handler, uh, competent, competent uh, offense initiator, like out on the floor. The other thing that has really affected DeLon Wright's uh, role, I think, on this team is Blake's uh, inability to create his own shots effectively. Right. You know, in in an ideal world, like Blake is posting up and got, people are threatened by the idea of Blake posting up and he's drawing double teams. And enabling Delon to, to play off of that, we see we've seen Delon like make some nice like uh, backdoor cuts. We've seen him make some nice um, you know off ball cuts to the rim for for baskets earlier in the year. We've seen him play like a nice two man game with with Mason Plumley on uh, on some like DHOs and and back cuts and stuff like that. Um, but because Blake doesn't draw, because Blake doesn't require the defense to scramble in the way that he used to. Like now both Blake's possessions are less efficient and because those possessions are less efficient, you are compelled to go to a different direction for offense. And part of that is Jeremy Grant in isolation. Part of that is like, you know, getting Jeremy Grant the ball in advantage situations. But, you know, with again, with it, with no Killian, like now DeLon Wright is the guy in the starting lineup who can, you know, handle the ball and initiate his own offense and get into the paint. Right. It's, uh, it's Wayne Ellington coming off DHOs, uh, and and it's Dillon Wright. Like, but if you need a guy who like to actually get into the paint in the starting lineup, now it's Dillon Wright and Jeremy Grant. And so I think that the I think Jeremy, uh, sorry, I think Dillon is playing over his head in terms of role. I don't think he came to Detroit with the idea that he was going to be this. I think he maybe came to Detroit with the idea he was going to be a starter, but he's not going to be the starter, the ball handler in the uh, in the starting lineup. And so I think 
a lot of fan frustration is uh, at the fact that he's not like better at at his job, but like this, he's it's like he's he's underqualified for the job he currently has for the role he currently has, um, and so I have you know he played he's played well in that role. Uh, you know he had a great game against Philadelphia in the win. Um, he's also played pretty poorly. He was. Uh, one of the main contributing factors to the Pistons being unable to finish the comeback against the Utah Jazz last night. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for DeLon. Like, this isn't what, this wasn't the plan from from him, from Coach Casey, like from, from Troy Weaver. Like, this, this wasn't what was supposed to happen. Um, but it's what we got. And so we just, we just got to live with it, unfortunately. You know, Hopefully, uh, you know, I, I answered this on quest on Twitter, uh, earlier today, but like, you know, hopefully Killian Hayes comes back, um, sometime, you know, in, you know, he'd be, he'd be really reevaluated, I think in, uh, approximately six weeks, you know, best case scenario, everything is going white, right and correctly with his rehabilitation. And he's able to play another, you know, three weeks after the reevaluation period, and so you're creeping up on 11 or 12 weeks where he's out with an injury. Um, it's enough time to maybe play a couple of games, but not like not many. But, you know, if if in between that Derrick Rose is traded or anything like that, you know, that's there's there's a lot of pressure on DeLon, right? To just like be the guy, be the ball handling uh, guy in Detroit. And like that, that wasn't what uh, I think he signed up for. And that's not what. He had never shown to be like exceptional in that role anywhere else. In all of his, uh, all of his best roles were where he where he could, you know, operate with the ball in his hands. But it wasn't the it wasn't like the only thing he was able to do. Right? You think about even in in Toronto, they had like Grievous Vasquez, right, uh, playing those those backup point guard minutes. You think of all those infamous like Kyle Lowry plus bench lineups. Well, like Talon was Talon was a part of those. Um, and even even in Dallas last year, right? Like in Dallas last year, he was one of like five point guards the Mavericks would throw out consistently, right? It was like him, Brunson before Brunson got hurt, you know, Trey Burke, Seth Curry, and JJ Barrera, and Luca, who's like functionally a point guard for Dallas. It's like he wasn't the only ball handler on the floor at uh, at all times, and so he could he could do other things in addition to initiating offense. Um, you know, but because of just because of the way things have gone this year for the Pistons, uh, he's he's asked to play uh, a bigger role than I think he uh, was capable of, and so I think that's why his role is misunderstood. It's just because like it wasn't the one we expected coming into the year. Thanks for the question, Jay. Second question Jay asked was if you had to induct one totally unqualified player into the Hall of Fame, who would it be? And I got to say, like, I thought about this for, (laughs) I thought about this for way longer than I wanted to. And it's just like, okay, totally unqualified. Like, what does that mean? Right? Like, does that mean like, okay, this guy shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. It's like, well, there are a lot of guys who shouldn't be Hall of Famers. More, you know, there are more non-Hall of Fame NBA players than than there are Hall of Fame NBA players. There are a lot of guys who are in the Hall of Fame that like you, if you look real close their case looks look kind of funny in the light right you look at a guy like like Mitch Richmond is the infamous example it's just like a guy who scored 20 points a game consistently at a time in the NBA when you know that was a, a bigger number than it is right now um, but never really did much else and never really won much of anything but scored a bunch of points so he's in and it's like okay sure yeah that guy I guess um, but yeah so I guess hmm I think so I was wondering about like what 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 unqualified means and like wondering what kind of guy like I would just want in the Hall of Fame just for have the sake of having him in the Hall of Fame and I have like two answers one of which is like sentimental for me and uh the other one uh, another one that's just I think would be kind of funny the sentimental answer for me would be like Jerry Stackhouse like in in a similar vein to Mitch Richmond Whereas like this dude just got buckets, um, like Stackhouse got a bunch of buckets for the Detroit Pistons at an impressionable time for a young man named Lazarus Jackson when he was watching the Detroit Pistons growing up. 
It's like I've all that's always been just imprinted on me is the way like Stackhouse was, you know, him against the world for a lot of those Pistons teams. It's like him and like Lindsey Hunter and Jerome Williams out there. It's like, okay, like, all right, Stack's got to score like 40 for us to have a chance to win this game. And he would sometimes. And, and that was that was kind of magical. Um, and it's kind of funny because that this doesn't make him unqualified. It's weird to think about him as, you know, unqualified to make the Hall of Fame, but he's definitely like not a Hall of Famer. Um, if you just like look at the, the breadth of his career, but there is a kid, but that's not like true forever. Right. Because he is also currently a head coach of a major college program. He was a very successful G league coach. There's no reason to believe that, you know, if Stackhouse were interested in an NBA job that he could eventually work his way back to the league and, and get an NBA head coaching job. And there's no reason to believe he couldn't have success in that job. So, you know, maybe Jerry Stackhouse, the player, doesn't make it into the Hall of Fame, but maybe Jerry Stackhouse, the coach, could someday make it into the Hall of Fame. Um, and so I don't know if he's completely unqualified, but uh, I think it would be cool if, if Stack was in the house for me for me personally. And then the other guy I think that would just be funny if he was in the Hall of Fame is Boban, Boban Marjanovic. Like, just this incredibly talented, <laughs> like incredibly efficient scorer who was a great teammate, who everyone loved, who was also just like an enormous human being. <laughs> it's like, I think, I think that'd be really funny. I think the, the ideal of just like everyone in the league coming to Boban's hall of fame ceremony and just like hugging him and just being like, we're, we're like super happy for you. It's like the, the Toby and Bobby show, like reuniting, like on the hall of fame diet. Like <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be so funny, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so if uh, if but we're talking about totally unqualified, like yeah, I think Boban like definitely is less qualified than Stackhouse to make the Hall of Fame. But for sure, Boban in the Hall of Fame would be hilarious. And so like yeah, let's throw Boban in there. Why not? <laughs> thanks for, thanks for the question, Jay. Uh, next question comes from the other co-host of the Inside the Cylinder podcast, David Fernandez, the Fernandula on Twitter. Uh, follow him again. Listen to that inside the cylinder podcast on the Detroit bad boys feed. Shout out to these guys for the questions. So David wanted to play a little game, which uh, is okay with, I'm okay with instead of, uh, you know, kill Mary, uh, screw. We'll go with screw. I think screw is screw is pretty crude, but that's an appropriate, uh, appropriate approximation of like the word you're supposed to insert in there. You know, the word you're supposed to insert in there. So instead of kill Mary screw, we got wave trade and resign. So David wants us to wave one guy, trade another guy and resign another guy at, uh, at $12 million a year. Um, for the year for uh, for the contract i got him down to 12 from 15 because i don't want to give any of these dudes 15 million dollars right now but uh dave wanted to he wanted to go so wave trade or resign josh jackson seku and sadiq bay say okay this is is a tough one you're you're pitting all three young wing prospects for the pistons uh, against each other um so the first guy i think i think you wave I don't know, actually. <laughs> this is a really tough question. Um, so it's it's tough because... So, like, Seku is the guy with the most upside out of the three, obviously. He's the youngest. He's the rawest. Um, but he's also been the worst. And so I don't... But, like, I don't want to waive him. But, like, if I was just looking at it from, like, a statistical perspective, like, Seku's the obvious answer to waive... But like at my heart, my heart won't let me. So I think, I think you have to wave Josh Jackson. Like as weird as that sounds, I think you have to wave Josh Jackson just because um, Josh is kind of a known quantity at this point. Um, that's this doesn't mean I dislike Josh. I really like the the energy and effort that Josh is bringing consistently to the Pistons. Uh, he's been a model citizen so far for the Pistons, and I think that's something that can't go underappreciated, especially when you consider like what happened with him in uh, in Phoenix. Um, but uh, he is older than both Seku and Sadiq. Um, has kind of regressed quietly from three point land. I believe he's under thirty one percent from three on the year so far right now and you can find a guy who does who you can find a, like a, a you can find a shorter player who does what he does like playmaking wise you know 
pushing out the ball in transition, um, getting the team easy opportunities, and, and playing defense. Like you can find uh, another guy who who can do those things. Um, will you find a guy who can do all those things like and be a potentially like pretty good shooter from three and be as impactful as Josh is on defense? It's like you know for, actually for twelve million dollars a year, you probably could find a guy, a guy to do all that. So yeah, we're gonna wave Josh. That that was rough. That felt. I felt that in my soul. That felt that felt cheap. I, I, oof, I feel bad about that. So I think, uh, so now we got trade and resign. And I think you trade Seku. I think you trade Seku because you could get more of a return for him because right now he's still kind of a mystery box. Um, I don't think it's like I, I'm saying this like, and I know there was a lot of chatter earlier this year on Pistons Twitter that like, hey, the Pistons don't value what Seku brings, and he's not playing, and they think he sucks, and they're gonna trade him, and it's gonna be you know, uh, it's gonna be Chris Middleton all over again. Uh, it's like I, you know, I think you can pump the brakes on that. I think uh, the coaching staff has said enough times that it's like, hey, like we 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 gotta play Seku. They've done. And they've done a they've done a very vocal job of saying like we love the energy and effort he's bringing. We love that he's practicing hard. Um, we, we like we have to find him more minutes. I know people people were kind of making fun of it at the SpongeBob meme where like SpongeBob is looking at a picture on a wanted poster of SpongeBob and is like who's like who who could give Seku more minutes, Dwayne? Like I wonder. It could be you, perhaps, who could give Seku more minutes if he's deserved them. But, uh, but yeah, like if, but like, because he's a mystery box, uh, you can like, you could probably get a solid first round pick for Seku. You gotta remember Seku wasn't a lottery pick. He was the 15th pick. Um, could you get the 20th? Could you get the 17th pick for a guy like Seku? Like, I don't think so. I think so. Is there a shot at finding another Seku at, at 17 or 20? Uh, maybe, maybe. You you can you can find another like raw talented uh, long athlete in that range. Um, you'll have just as much luck developing that person as you do Se- Seku. So there's not a ton of reason to do that trade, but I think trading Seku gets you the most value. And so that means that you resign Sadiq Bay, good old dependable three and D wing. Uh, three point, you know, quick release, uh, burgeoning post up slashing game, Sadiq Bay at $12 million a year. I got no, I got zero issue with that. Um, I feel very confident that Sadiq is just like that level of guy for whatever team he chooses, for whatever team like he's going to be on for the rest of his career. Um, I feel really good about, about Sadiq like being worth that $12 million a year contract. I'm also really glad I negotiated with David to get that down to $12 because 15 if Sadiq's not ever, never any better, that, that, get, that gets a little dicey. Thanks for the question again, David. And our last question of the night uh, comes from Chaz Malibu from Detroit Bad Boys' board. Thanks for the question, Chaz. Chaz asks, I've been rewatching a few old favorite TV shows over the last couple of months. It's just nice to have something comfortable and familiar during this nonsense we're currently living through. Ain't that the truth? What are your go-to shows when you just want to decompress for 30 minutes? Chaz, thanks for the question. So I have a couple. So right now, like this isn't, this isn't decompression so much, but I'm, so I was watching the Mandalorian, right? I was watching the Mandalorian on my own time, like weeks behind everybody. Cause I don't watch shows on schedule. That's just not how I rock, but you know, some major, there were some major character appearances. We'll say in the Mandalorian for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Um, like me, I actually have not finished the second season of the Mandalorian, but because no one else cared and just spoiled everything on Twitter, I know who's about to show up in the last couple of episodes of the Mandalorian. Um, and that not that knowledge made me want to rewatch uh Star Wars or watch for the first time Star Wars the Clone Wars which is also on Disney Plus the the animated series from the dude who now does the Mandalorian and I think is hand they're like handing him a big chunk of the Star Wars extended universe Dave Filoni and so I started watching that uh that's they have like 6 seasons 6 or 7 seasons of that show and so and those are like only 20 minute episodes but they they string them together like they have like an entire like four episode arc 
And so it's like, it's a 20 minute, it's a 25 minute episode. But like, by the time you watch three of them, it was like, Oh, like I've spent like an hour and a half doing this. But, uh, so that's, I've been watching that. That is not, that's not decompression. I am like legitimately trying to watch those like three, four at a time to get through them. So I can go back to watching the Mandalorian with like a little bit more understanding of what's happening in the second season of the Mandalorian. And so that's, that's not decompression. That's like, all right, like let's knock this out before bed. Um, decompression. There's a, if I just want to like turn my brain off and just like watch something, um, parks and rec is, is great for that. Um, you don't have to like, you don't turn your brain off entirely for parks or rec. It's pretty like smart, uh, comedy, but it's also, it's also just like funny. It's like, it makes me laugh. It's, it's very like heartwarming. Brooklyn nine, nine is also like great for that. You, you can turn your brain off more for, for Brooklyn nine, nine. It's gotten, uh, it's gotten more like formulaic as, as the seasons have gone on, but it's still, it's still pretty funny. And then, um, I'm into anime. I'm not like, I'm not huge in anime. I have a, I have a bunch of friends who are like way deeper into it than I am. And I know enough to like ask them for recommendations, but like, I also know enough not to watch everything they recommend to me. So like for a while I was watching the show called, uh, God of high school. And like, that was, that was, that's, that is a weird, weird anime. Like, the thing, the thing I hate when anime is, the thing I hate, I hate when anime do, does is that like they, they never stop and like explain anything. They're just like, Hey, like here's like a magical world. And it's just like, you got to like figure out the rules like by yourself. And like some people can break the rules or whatever. This is a, so like the God of high school starts out one way, starts off just like, you know, high schoolers fighting one another, which is like, okay, that that's what I'm here for. I want high schoolers to fight each other. But like, by the end is like this guy's like the monkey king and he's also like reincarnated a bunch of times and his granddad is like god or something and it's just like you know what like this isn't it's like I, I like i finished it i like i i completed it it's like did i enjoy it like not not it's like it's it just it went too weird it went too left field it's like that was it's like uh it's just like please like come on guys like can we just chill and so i've been watching um Another anime I've been watching is Kakaguri on, I don't know if that's how you say it or not, but it's like, it's a gambling Netflix anime. It is, it's hilarious just cause like the, 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 it's not supposed to be funny, but I find it hilarious just cause it's like these high school students playing like life or death gambling games. And it's just like, it's like who approved this school? Like <laughs> going back to like the generational gap. It's like, who let these kids do this? It's like, where are your parents? <laughs> It's like, I can't believe they're letting the kids do this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and so like, I, I watch that if, um, that, that's, that's more of like a, that's definitely more of a decompression show. Um, it's definitely just like turn your brain off except for the last five minutes to like pay attention to see what happened. Who, who wins the gambling game in the most ridiculous fashion possible. <laughs> so I watch that. And then there's uh, a thing I do after work. So I'm working from home just like, you know, a bunch of other people I'm working from home, uh, during the pandemic and my desk is in my office. And so like, essentially I never have to leave my office for anything. I got my office, just got my, my desktop and my laptop. I've got my, the TV is like set up like right next to the decks, the desktop. I can literally turn my head. Like I'm turning my head right now and I'm watching the Indiana Pacers and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are smacking the Pacers. Good, good Lord. Um, but uh, what's good? Oh, so like the, so what, what happens is like, I'll be working, I'll work at this desk, right? So I just work at the desk from, you know, eight to five, um, come downstairs, like eat dinner and then it'll be like six, six thirty, and the games will start the, the Pistons games or like other Eastern conference games that I want to watch will start at like seven. And so I'll just have like a half hour to kill. And so what I'll do is I'll play, uh, I call it my round of golf. I'll play a round of golf on a PGA 2K21 on Xbox. And like that is, it's not, it's, it's not an actual round of golf. I used to be a caddy. Uh, I was a caddy for six years. And so like, I know a little bit about golf. I know enough to like, not, not suck at the game, but like, that's a nice, like relaxing, like super duper low stakes, um, game I can play that will in a round last like about 20 minutes. And so like, if I come up after eating dinner at six and it's six thirty, I can get a round of golf in before the game start at seven. 
And so like that, that's my routine. I like, I like getting, getting my round of golf in. So PGA, PGA 2K21 is kind of the other thing that, uh, that I do to, to decompress, to relax before the games. I, th- I thought about being, I thought about being like, Hey, like the other thing I do is like, I just grind tape of the pistons, but that's, that's not true. I <laughs> I wish that was true. Maybe that would make me probably a better, a better analyst and a more knowledgeable dude. And like, maybe I'd have more Twitter followers and maybe the podcast would be bigger or whatever. But like, yeah, man, like there's like you, you, you can't pay me enough money to watch the Warriors game like more than twice. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. So like maybe I'll pull up some some clips from stats.com, maybe I'll read um some other thoughts from writers I really respect uh, around the league. Maybe I'll like put in a podcast or something. But yeah, man, if I if I want to decompress, like I'm not watching the Pistons. <laughs> as 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 funny as that sounds. I'm not watching the Pistons for to, de- to decompress. No one no one should be forced to watch the Pistons to decompress. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Chaz. And, uh, yeah, that, that's all the questions. Thanks for all the questions, everybody. I I really appreciate them. Um, it's, it's always interesting to be like, Hey, like, you know, what do you guys want to hear about? Um, I think the sense I get from fans right now is that everybody else is just kind of like in wait and see mode. Um, yeah, I get the sense of like, if Killian was healthy, maybe there'd be a little bit more, uh, desperation to see Killian healthy. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, Seku wasn't playing as much. And so there's a lot of, you know, sound and fury that Seku wasn't playing. And now he's playing and he looks like, eh, most of the time. And so like that, that's kind of quieted down. You know, there's a lot of sound and fury about Jeremy Grant's start to the year. Jeremy Grant is still playing excellent basketball, but now it's become consistent. It's become uh, routine for him to drop, you know, 23 points and six rebounds. And so there's less like, uh, there's less novelty about it. And so I, I think, uh, so I was really curious to see like what fans wanted to hear about. Um, I'm really curious to see where people's heads are at right now for this team, you know, 20 games into a 72 game season. Um, so I, I really appreciate the questions. Thanks to everybody who asked questions. Uh, yeah. All right. That's the episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. If you follow me on Twitter, I am more likely to answer your questions about the next time I do one of these mailbag podcasts. You should definitely follow me. You should listen to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. That's the other podcast about the Detroit Pistons I host that comes out on Mondays. Um, also on the Detroit, uh, you can find that podcast wherever you find uh, podcasts, the same podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on. You can listen to the DBB podcast on. Um, we share the feed the DBB podcast feed with the inside the cylinder podcast. You should also just like listen to that every single time it comes out again, shout outs to Matt and David for submitting questions for this episode. Truly appreciate it. Listen to their podcast. They just hit episode 100 big milestone for them. Good job. Um, yeah, this is, and this has been the Pistons versus everybody podcast. Uh, thanks for listening and we will talk to y'all next week. See ya.